Hello, my name is Linda Sezik. I'm a practicing nephrologist in Durham, North Carolina. I really enjoy doing these viewpoints, both the written ones and the video ones. And I like to pick articles that I think have immediate clinical application to people's practice. This particular article was a little bit hard for me. Not because it's difficult methodologically, it's actually quite simple and elegant, but because it is uh, quite sobering in forcing me to look at the impact of emergent hemodialysis as access to care in our undocumented immigrants. Did you ever wonder how someone who's undocumented gets access to the end-stage renal disease program that is largely funded by Medicare and Medicaid? Well, there are approximately 6,400 undocumented immigrants in the U.S. right now who have end-stage renal disease who are facing that. Our states have developed two ways, both using the emergent, emergent Medicaid program. One, in California and New York, utilizes the emergency Medicaid program to provide regularly scheduled dialysis. Many other states, including Colorado, which is um, highlighted in this particular study, require patients to present for emergent hemodialysis, being critically ill to justify their need for dialysis, to then gain access to hemodialysis and have it reimbursed through the emergency Medicaid program. So the title of the article, before I get into it anymore, is The Illness Experience of Undocumented Immigrants with End-Stage Renal Disease. It was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in February 2017. And it describes 20 patients in this one center in Colorado um, who receive emergent hemodialysis um, approximately every week. Now, the two ways of receiving dialysis, regularly scheduled or emergency hemodialysis, can be looked at in a number of different ways. From the financial perspective, a study that was performed in Texas found, not surprisingly, that emergent hemodialysis was 3.7 times more expensive than regularly scheduled dialysis. That's interesting to know. Now, as we get into this particular study, I'd like to pause for a moment. We live in a very polarized time politically where there are a lot of emotionally charged arguments about topics such as immigration. I'd like to focus us now, as you're listening to this, in terms of just looking at the patient experience. Just listen to what these patients are going through. Next steps, we can decide as a renal community. We can lobby legislation for next steps. But right now, just listen to what these patients are experiencing, because I think you'll find it as sobering as I did. So this particular center in Colorado provides emergent dialysis to between 55 and 60 patients per month. This study looks at 20 of those patients doing a semi-structured interview to understand the effect of their act, this access to healthcare on themselves, their attitudes, and their families. So what is emergent dialysis? Well, to receive emergent dialysis, 
you have to present at a level of critical illness that is defined as having a potassium level of greater than 5.2, a bicarbonate level of less than 15, an oxygen saturation of less than 90% with uremic symptoms or being severely short of breath, and a chair has to be available. If a patient satisfies this definition of being critically ill, they're dialyzed, admitted overnight, receive a second dialysis session in the morning, and then are discharged, only to repeat this cycle six or seven days later, trying to become critically ill so that they can justify their need for dialysis. For this study, patients were asked to describe the circumstances of their diagnosis, the effect of diagnosis on their daily life, and the consequences of emergent-only dialysis on themselves and their family. Of the first 20 patients that were approached, all 20 agreed to be interviewed. All 20 were Latino. Their mean age was 51.4 years, half were men, half were women, 50% were employed, 70% had a less than high school education. And interestingly, the mean time in the U.S. before starting dialysis, before end-stage renal disease, was 15.4 years, quite a long time. The mean time that patients were on dialysis prior to being interviewed was 51 months. So again, a long time. The four major themes about their illness experience were, they were asked about how distressing the symptom burden was and the unpredictable access to emergent-only dialysis, the death anxiety that they experienced associated with the weekly episodes of life-threatening illness, family and social consequences of accommodating emergent-only hemodialysis, and finally, their perceptions of the healthcare system. Now, I would encourage everyone to go to the JAMA website and to download this paper and look at Table 2. It contains quotes from the patients and their interviews. These are real people describing real fear and the real impact of emergent-only dialysis on their lives and on their families' lives. The descriptions of symptom burden are quite dramatic. In these patients, they describe the feeling like they're drowning every week. They talk about what it's like to be coded repeatedly, to be coded repeatedly. And the behaviors that they have, such as eating oranges and bananas, outside of the emergency room prior to going in with their shortness of breath symptoms just to make sure that they reach that definition of being critically ill by having a high enough potassium. The effect of uh, variable access to hemodialysis is really quite shocking. This variable access pushes patients to do more to their bodies to be the most severely affected of all the other people in the emergency room so that they can qualify for the chair, the one chair, if there's only one available. This makes them wait until their symptoms due to volume overload are quite extreme. Logically, the more extreme the symptoms, the higher the risk for the patient. 
The, symptom, the system appears to reward those who push the boundaries of their symptoms maximally to what can be tolerated. It should not be surprising to anyone that the effect of a weekly hospital admission impacts greatly their ability to hold down jobs. Patients describe not only the effect of their symptoms and their hospitalizations on themselves in terms of loneliness and missing their families, but also the effect of the stress on the families in terms of sadness and mental health. The paper describes near-death experience as a relatively common place for these patients. One young patient is described as having chronic chest pain that she thinks is related to broken ribs caused by numerous attempts at cardiopulmonary resuscitation when she pushed her symptoms maybe just a little too far. Another patient describes how her son will not leave her side when he's at home, when she's at home, for fear that he may need to contact the ambulance or uh, come to her aid. This fear of dying causes a growing anxiety in the patients themselves. They do, however, describe very comforting relationships that they build with each other due to this shared experience, shared language and cultures that helps them to bond with people who are in similar extreme circumstances. But they also describe the devastating experience when one of the other patients, one of their friends dies um, and how much deep distress it causes them. The patients are quite frank about the effect of the fear of dying each week on their families. They describe their children as depressed. Two patients stated that their children had suicide attempts. Many preemptively say goodbye to their families every week in case they don't come back. And some doubt, and some uh, are very reluctant to share new medical information with their families. In spite of this, they discuss extreme gratitude for the practitioners who provide them care and have developed great relationships with these people. They describe seeing these healthcare providers at the funerals of other undocumented immigrants that received dialysis. They talk about the irony of not being able to uh, receive a transplant because of the lack of insurance, but being able to, in theory, donate their organs on their death if they have the heart on their driver's license. So this is the part of the video viewpoint where um, myself as the presenter should provide some summary and steps forward. This is a very controversial topic in terms of both immigration and healthcare, two very hot button items in a very divided country. So I'm not going to take this video viewpoint in that direction and say how this should affect policy. I think though as a renal community we need to be aware of these patients experience. We need to look at their experience through their eyes 
and come up with our own conclusions about how to move this forward. Is this the quality of care that we think is appropriate? If it is, we take one path. If it's not, then we take another. I've tried to be um, very neutral in how I present this, but I'm hoping that you can see the look on my face and the tone of my voice and understand how sobering I find this and how, how I would love for this traumatic weekly event to not be a part of so many people's lives. Please leave a comment in the comment section. Let's try to discuss this in a way that we can make valuable as a renal community. We can learn from each other. We know one of us has all of the answers, but we're all motivated by the same deep-seated desire to make this world a better place than when we found it. With that, I hope you enjoyed my discussion of this paper, and I encourage you to read it, and please leave me a comment. Have a wonderful day.